people often talk about the truth, but what do they mean when they say something is true? How can we even begin to decide what is or isn't true? Why do we believe things? And are some ideas better than others? Pragmatism and the philosophy of science coming up. Philosophers. Philosophers. So, David, um, you had a good point earlier about us maybe kind of revisiting some topics and cleaning them up. And I think that's a good idea. Yes. Uh, Long-time listeners or listeners who like to go back and listen to the first episodes of shows uh, will probably find this topic familiar. Um, This is what we essentially talked about in our fourth and fifth episodes, why beliefs matter and why the truth matters. Um, so in this episode, we intend to uh, condense a little bit of that and, uh, uh, provide a bit of a refresher on the topic, um, and maybe, uh, get to say some, some things that we hadn't said before about it. Sounds good. So, uh, I think we should invert the, the two things maybe and talk about truth first, because I think when we originally discussed it, we were doing it very organically where we wanted to talk about beliefs and then we quickly came upon, you know, the question of like, truth in beliefs and that's why we covered them the way we did like yeah. we we processed them as though you would a stack you know um so i think maybe this time around we talk about truth first and then we talk about the beliefs that come downstream about truth and uh regarding truth sure okay so um i'm gonna let you start off with that so why does the truth matter ultimately hmm. well that's a difficult question to answer of course it is um I think really starting off here we're not really in a position to answer this question. Um yeah. so the the truth the truth matters. Hmm. Well, when you say the truth, you know, I think yes. The, the, first we need to talk about truth versus the truth maybe. Yeah. We're we're not really in a position to answer that question yet. Um, first we need to talk about the truth. What, what is the truth? Um, how do we possibly know it when we see it? Maybe we'll get to that later. Um, but what, what do people mean when they say it? I think, I think there's a lot of conflicting definitions out there for what the truth is. So first we need to get to the bottom of what are we talking about? So um, a lot of people uh, subscribe. I think I think the the most obvious, uh, I I will submit naive approach to the definition of truth is correspondence theory of truth. Um, and and, and to uh, to steal a line from CGP Gray, it seems to be like a cosmic rule of the universe that anytime you try to think of a solution to a problem. If, if the solution comes quickly and seems simple and easy to implement, then it's the, the worst thing you could possibly do. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so correspondence theory of truth defines truth as uh, the set of propositions, which corresponds to reality. Cool. <laughs> How do I know what corresponds to reality? This is the this is the very problem that we're trying to solve, right? Um, do we want to? Uh, I, I guess first we should um, possibly, but before we go too far down the correspondence theory thing and talk about why why that's a problem, um, 
we should first uh, very quickly dispel any woo-woo ideas about truth. Um, you know, lots of people subscribe to the, uh, like, platonic philosophy that truth and, like, ac axioms and things are, like, metaphysically true. Um, like, so, so Plato was known to, uh, to submit that, like, ethereal concepts like numbers really exist. Like, is there a number between one and three? Yes. Which one? Two. Therefore, two exists. <laughs> right. This kind of language games is is what it is. So we have to we have to dispel the idea that truth is some ethereal like part of reality. Right. When we're talking about truth, what what we're really what we're what the the thing that we're trying to get to is correspondence theory. We'll get to why correspondence theory in and of itself falls on its face as a, as any sort of useful tool for us to use. But that's what we're trying to do. Correspondence theory is the thing that we're trying to achieve when we're investigating the truth. Um, we, we care about what is real. Um, and so there's no, like we, we can, we can define truth in any number of ways that we want. Uh, but all of those are arbitrary if they don't in some way correspond to something outside of our own mental, like subjective existence. Sure. And I think that's, that's kind of also something that it's easy to gloss over. Um, but it's also easy to get trapped in depending on how you're arguing or what you first think about when you think about truth. Um, there's kind of three layers here that we're dealing with. There, there is the reality that, there is the reality in which we exist, but we don't see all of reality. We don't have a can of reality we can open up and observe, you know. Um, downstream from reality, and in a narrow scope, there's just our individual perceptions of reality. Which truly is all we have. Yes. Like, yeah, we, and we, we've gotten into this many times before on and off the show, that I have no way of knowing objectively that you actually exist right yeah we've had an interesting um, some interesting discussions about that right you um, apparently exist to me i can look at you and you behave like i would expect a person who exists to behave according to my senses but this could all be an elaborate trick an illusion uh i can't prove even to myself that you exist really right um but I give you the benefit of the doubt that it like Occam's razor defeats this. Like it, it raises more questions than it provides answers for me to start postulating. Okay. maybe there's an, an evil magician who's, who's uh, cast a curse on me to put me in this reality where I see all these things that don't really exist. Right. And then even further downstream from our perceptions. And this is the realm in which a lot of the debate comes from is the linguistic game below our perceptions where now I'm having to go back external to other apparent agents and discuss these things in a way that I can translate them between my experience and someone else. Yeah. And so there's these three levels to it and acknowledging this exists. And there are some that don't even acknowledge this. And so if you in, 
I think this is where the most frustrating debates come from and discussions is when you're operating from entirely different positions about the belief in reality. But this, I think, is a fairly simple one to find some ground on and that's there's this reality and then within this reality which we cannot observe because we're in it is our perceptions and then within our perceptions there is a further limit of our linguistic capability of translating our perceptions in a way that we can use to form a system and this is collectively kind of called the egocentric position of uh right All, all we have is our senses exactly yeah um and i think that's important because when when you are talking truth you are in no position to begin to argue a, a truly objective truth because right the whole reason why we even have this conversation to begin with is that we don't have a direct link to the fundamental nature of reality we are right. we are trapped within our meat bodies to figure out what we can <laughs> figure out based on what information our meat parts give to us right um you know yeah, we have, we have various senses to to do this, and then mental faculties to process them. Right. Yeah, we're essentially and 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 we also know we we can prove in some sense of the word um, that our senses are themselves fallible. Yes. Um, which is you know that that might have been the the first indication that we we have a problem on our hands. We don't have a link to objective reality because even our senses, which are the only things that we have, can lie to us. Yes, and I think that's a fundamental part of developing as an individual is i think everyone believes something that is apparent to them at first and then later on discover that that's not true and it can be very the earth is apparently flat on first observation yes and then we find out that it's not and it's it's not if you think it is this may not be the place for you or maybe you should be keep listening i don't know but i mean even simpler things like when you're a child the concept of lying doesn't it's not necessarily innate to you. Like, or at least it wasn't to me. Like I, I had never considered this might just, someone might lie to me, but then you discover that someone did. And then, right. You, you took someone on their word for something and then it happened not to be true. And you're confronted with reality. Oh, I can't just take everyone at their word. Right. Sometimes people will tell me things that aren't true. Right. Or, you know, when, in all all kinds of things like that like uh if you're fooled by like in a lot of kids are fooled by you know things on tv for example like and that's something parents often tell their kids well it's not real and that's like i think the first time that a lot that's the, a common thing that is like your first confrontation with the fact that things aren't as they appear is that oh well I mean, if i saw it on tv everything else looks real there's real people running around on the tv and then there's a monster and it's like yeah but that monster is made up it's it's literally fabricated and your parent explains that to you and you don't get it at first. And then as you slowly come to realize that you realize, okay, things aren't always as they seem. And this is something that is a part of growing up that we, it's actually useful later on, especially now when we're talking about discussions about truth, things aren't always as they seem. And there was no way we could have known and, that. And even things that were as they seemed, you can't rely on your memory to capture them perfectly for you. Um, you know, false memories are a thing are a very deeply unsettling thing. Yes. But you're going to have to deal with it. So that all being said, we're not talking objective truth, ultimately, when we're talking about truth. Like, you can, well, discuss, we are. you can discuss the concept of objective truth, yes. But, like, we cannot ever directly observe 
objective truth necessarily. No. That's that's what we're trying to get to is that there is not a metaphysical truth out there that we're literally looking for in physical space or even in metaphysical space to right if you just look it. under every rock and blade of grass eventually you'll find the truth like that no no that's not what we're talking <laughs> about um and i'd like to take it from here to you know what what we talk about when we're talking about truth and that's really truth assignment like in the realm of what we're talking about um so i think it's it would behoove us to talk about what truth assignment is um sure so now we're getting into formal logic yes uh where we we define a, a system of truth by which we can derive other truths logically right and uh and this truth assignment and stick with us we'll eventually get back to how we can apply this to the real world yes 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 we will um so this truth assignment is essentially the the process of truth assignment is algorithmic it's there's an algorithm by which you are assigning truth to propositional statements you know the, the example often given is dogs are fuzzy that statement just being made has no truth assignment until we give it one right it, what's it, a dog what's fuzzy yes and then you can by your observation from your egocentric position go okay well based on my definition of fuzzy and my definition of dog and we can work together to come up with common definitions for those two things which we often do because the other part about linguistic systems is they're only really effective if they're shared that's the whole point of them existing is to externalize internal thoughts and share them with other people in a way that's meaningful that i can translate data reliably to you so sure because i can i can tell you that i have derived logically that all snuffins are green but that doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know what a snuffin is right even if i understand half of it which is what green is okay what's a snuffin (laughs) we have to work that out first (laughs) And you can get even more complicated by saying all snuffins are oobleck. And you're like, well, wait, hold on. What are those things? <laughs> like, you know, getting your... And that's why in a lot of our episodes, we talk definitions first. We we want to make sure we're coming from a common ground place of at least we're talking the same language. We understand it. And a lot of debates de- will eventually devolve to that semantic level of, well, what, but what are we talking about? And you, it's frustrating because you lose sight of the point of having the conversation in the first place. And you spend more time arguing about definitions. And not only that, but in a lot of discussions, you start to delineate those definitions from what you're talking about. Like, it's easy to go down to the definitional level. What's harder is once you start agreeing on definitions to then bring those agreements back up to the logic. You know, when you're trying to do a truth assignment with somebody, well, wait, what were we talking about now? You have to start all over. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a couple of things about truth assignment though that i think need to be discussed the simplest one is the binary truth assignment something is either entirely true or it's entirely false you know like the statement all dogs are fuzzy if you had to put it in a binary assignment i would say it's true really i'd say it's false see there you go yes but the point of that is i've I've seen hairless dogs before exactly (laughs) but then you point out "Ah, but what about hairless dogs and then it goes okay well then i guess it's false is it useful to say that that's a false statement maybe maybe but if we're if we're trying to build a system based on the assumption that all dogs are fuzzy and it will break in the event that we encounter a hairless dog then yes it matters to say false we can't make that assumption let's do something else right and so then you come up to well are there other systems like a ternary system which is true false and unknown you know or maybe or, or maybe yeah. you know it's it's this mm, 
no valuable response really like or no direct truth aside it's valuable because you've considered it but it's not valuable in the way that you can make a reliable judgment on this yeah um but it's important to point that out uh, i feel like of and there's one other and there's the fuzzy logic or the continuum answer where there's varying degrees of truth and false and based on how confident which i i think this is really even even though in common language it would be clunky to always talk in in terms of uh uh fuzzy logic um i think this is really the most philosophically useful um we we use this in street epistemology um where we we speak on a, a confidence scale um, in street epistemology, we don't ask, like, do, do you think this is true? Usually we ask, how confident are you that this is true? Right. And and even in casual discussion, when you're not doing straight street epistemology, and you're arguing with people, a lot of the times when an objection is raised, if you're in a binary system, like dog, all dogs are fuzzy. We just use that. Let's use it again. I said true. You said false. You would say, but what about hairless dogs? I could return with, well, but they're such a small and even though i don't have the data i can from my observation say but but how many hairless dogs are there you know based on our you know how many hairless dogs have you seen compared to fuzzy dogs and we can both acknowledge that they're probably a lot smaller percentage of the population and it might become negligible so we can say we're essentially at that point arguing over how true that is not whether it is true or false on the face of it by entering into the discussion of well but let's Although just, maybe this is a bad example because we're making a generalization. All dogs are fuzzy. Like I can say j- just by the fact that I have observed at least one hairless dog, I can say 0% confidence. I'm 0% confident that all dogs are fuzzy because I know of the existence of that's true. non-fuzzy dogs. But as soon as you, then you can change the proposition to most dogs are fuzzy. And now it's, you yeah. can change it, in, but by using terms like most and a lot of, or generally speaking, you're adapting the definition, but what you could also be doing is entering into a fuzzy logic zone by doing that. And and there are better examples maybe for fuzzy logic, which are, are for things that we, we don't know and we can't, we don't have a ready example. Human per- males are aggressive. Mm, yes exactly so there's multiple definitions we have to contend with now um human male aggressive aggressive like we have to address all three now we all kind of have an innate understanding of what that means like we can each conjure up an idea of what a human male is and what aggressive is like the subject and the predicate of that sentence we can come up with an idea around the predicate and an idea around the subject and go "Mm, contextually speaking like why are we talking about this if it's a discussion about you know what we do about male aggression and you're asserting it off the bat to justify whether or not this discussion is worthy to be had if you think that that's a worthy discussion you can accept the premises of those because it's not the point but if we're arguing semantics about what a human male and aggressive means then you... or perhaps this this would even be a, a better way to to frame it for purposes of a uh, a logic or a competence scale uh truth assignment uh male humans are more aggressive than female humans right and so now, now we can now we can express a confidence how 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 confident are we that that is actually the case right and and as we'll get into later we can test whether this is the case in some way Right. So this third position, which I think is the most broadly applicable, is 
somewhere in the middle, but leaning one way or the other. And we take those leanings into consideration for our answer and assignment, ultimately. So, pretty much from the egocentric position, all truth assignments are done through an algorithmic process. And you can choose binary ternary or fuzzy logic for your assignment pro and assignment process. And you don't necessarily have to have a singular algorithm for truth. Like that's another thing that a lot of people talk about and you see brought up in discussions a lot is, well, you assign truth using this algorithm before it, the assumption would be it just off the bat, maybe naively is that you use the same algorithm for everything and should you, or shouldn't you like there's discussions that are had around that. And those are important discussions to have because I don't use the same algorithm for everything, for example, hmm. but it's not based on the subject. You know, for example, I think there's a valid, I think it's valid to discuss. I use a simple binary assessment for quick decision-making, but on further review, like the more time I have to dis to work out that truth, truth assignment, I move towards a fuzzy logic system. Like for I think the other thing, like we can, we can also get into like domains. So like if we're, if we're talking about something purely in formal logic, then a binary system is a lot easier to work with. Yes. Um, you know, I can, I can talk about, you know, what, what it means to have a conditional or something like that. So like if we, if we have something that's true and something else that's true, then they both together are true. Like that's the definition of and, or like if this, then that, okay, well we have this. So then that, right. Like we, we know that like if we, if we start, if we, if we have truth assignments for things, then we can work in a binary system and form a logic. Right. And so getting downstream to the actual question at hand, why does it matter? Well, truth matters because of most truth definitionally is used to then build systems of build further assignments down the line like your actually i would submit that's not why truth matters that's it well, okay fair enough what do you think uh, why it matters truth matters well okay we should be especially concerned with which propositions are true which is really what we mean when we say truth matters we should be concerned with which propositions are true and which are false because we have to make decisions and we want to make the decision that results in desire. We want to make decisions that result in desirable outcomes for us. That's also, that's true. why it matters. Right. Um, I, I agree that that's, that's absolutely the point. I, I agree. Um, I was taking the longer route of, well, you decide other truths based on this. And then from those, because oftentimes you don't make decisions based on the fundamental truth about things that you come up with. Right. Truth right. You yeah. Make. Not, we don't need to make a direct observation about everything we need to make a decision about. We can use logic to derive other things to, to do that as well. Yes. But ultimately it is to make decisions. Yes, yep. that's true. Um, <laughs> so, um, that's why truth matters. Now, to, to go up to, well, what about beliefs? You know, why do they matter? Well, David, what are beliefs and why do they matter? Beliefs are just the subjective counterpart to truth. So if we, if we d define there to be an objective truth, then our beliefs are our subjective judgments about the truth. Um, 
so yeah and, and we we can we can define what it means to believe something in several different ways but i think it, it makes sense to do it on the competence scale um if you find if you have more than 50 percent competence in something then you believe it at least to some extent right like it in a weird way it's not so much like, like you said in, in your truth assignment when you like we were saying earlier most things in life are not binary truth assignments in in that discipline like in, in formal logic discipline sure you can go to binaries and do some work there but in, your in the real world there's uncertainties yeah and by real world we mean like your daily life interactions there's uncertainties well, as, we, as we said your your senses are all you have right and they're not perfect right and so in that realm you are almost entirely operating in the fuzzy logic or the confidence scale um and so the belief is essentially where you are on that scale above or below 50 percent, or if you start at zero are you negative or positive you know whichever side you're leaning towards true or false um and those beliefs are is essentially just that is the output of that algorithm like your belief is the out is, is the output of the algorithm yeah uh, your assignment. your beliefs are your set of truth assignments for propositions yes and so in and and i think the reason that we often dis we you hear m many more discussions about beliefs i think than you do true or false necessarily uh, when you start to actually open it into a broader discussion um maybe we don't always frame it that way um i think the thing the thing there i, I think beliefs we, framing a discussion in terms of beliefs as opposed to in terms of truth i think is really the more honest way to go about the discussion anyway yeah. because you're you're acknowledging up front none of us know objectively what's going on here right we're talking about what we believe and why Right, and so at least in an ideal discussion, I, I agree, and I think in those beneficial, and, and that makes that can help make a discussion more beneficial to both parties. Um, and we kind of skipped over that, like discussions in general, and we have episodes where we talk about what ideal discourse is like, and I highly recommend seeing those, and we might even redo that one at some point or re-highlight it. I don't know, but just as a quick insert for that, you know, a lot of discussions and. I, I am I'm intentionally avoiding the word debate because it comes with a stigma, mm -hmm. at least in my observation. And you believe that anyway, I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I'm trying to get at is when you begin talking about beliefs, it's a lot easier to move away from the competitive nature of discussions where we are like, we've all seen it. I think, you know, people having an argument about something and, the point of the argument is no longer about ascertaining why someone believes something necessarily or how this person is making those truth assignments to fill out and insert for, you know, the definition of the word. Um, instead, it's about scoring points or being right. It's not about why I'm right. It's just that I am right and why I'm right and why you're wrong, but not based on beliefs. It's based on you're, you're projecting your beliefs into the situation and a lot of time there's a there's some serious disregard for other people's beliefs in that discussion and it's because you're arguing truth you're not even acknowledging the algorithm of why that person came to that decision or if you are then you go to that level where now you're arguing why that person's algorithm is wrong and it's all coming from you can't help but come from the egocentric position but you're also wrapping in point scoring like it, it you mm -hmm. you're gamifying yeah 
like I, I, I like avoiding the word debate because to me, you know, a debate loose, is a contest. Yeah, yeah. Debates are the gamified version of a discussion, you know, an honest discussion. And, and by the nature of it being a game, it, it kind of becomes dishonest in some ways, I think, yes. or it, it, maybe that's not a hundred percent accurate technically, but the, the point and motives by you being there and having a discussion are no longer to seek truth or to try to discover something about yourself or the other person. It's right. about how am I going to look coming out of this or personal satisfaction, you know, either, you know, there's all sorts of motivations for doing that. And so, yes, that's why it matters. So let's, uh, you know, continue to move forward with Blaze. Do you have anything else you wanted to bring up on that point before we kind of tuck back into it? No, let's move on. Okay. So, um, since we've gotten to this point where we, 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 we we kind of have a definition for truth and why it matters and then beliefs, and we're discussing why they matter. Um, we can talk a little bit about, I think, axiomatic systems at this point, or what an axiom is, and uh, why they're really prevalent, um, whether you acknowledge that they are or not. Um, but an axiom is essentially an arbitrary assignment, uh, or it's an arbitrary function. And uh, that you... It, right, an arbitrary declaration of the, the truth assignment for a particular proposition is right. an axiom. Um, a equals a is, is a axiom. Is an axiom of equality of yeah. equality yes or um, well specifically the reflexive property of equality right and if you have spent any amount of time actually studying mathematics the philosophy of mathematics for what it is it is a set of axioms and then the system everything by else is derived from the set of axioms various sets of axioms yeah right and and I like talking about it that way. I know as soon as you start talking math, a lot of people might glaze over. Um, but discussing math, the the philosophy, as opposed to within the realm and philosophy of mathematics, I feel like is more interesting for this discussion because math isn't a science. Like, that's an important thing that most people would say that, you know. Yeah, lot, lots of people pick up this meme in school that, that because, like everyone hears that math is is related to science and it's true math is extremely useful in science but is math related to science sorry <laughs> but yes it's it's at least used a lot in science because it's a very useful tool but right it's not math cannot be called a science because it's not discovered no you can't look in the world like there's nowhere in the world like just just like numbers before like find me a number show me a number you can bring me a quantity of things but that's not a number. That's just some things. Yeah. Um. It's it's the same. It's the same thing. And same with equality. You can bring me an exact copy of something and say, "Look, these are equal." Okay. Well, you found me two equal things, but you didn't find equality. Um. Th these are all definitions that humans came up with. Now we came up with them because they make sense in our understanding of the world, but. You must acknowledge we really just came up with them. Mathematics is invented, not discovered. Right. And it's because of those set of axioms that you're allowed to then build out other truth assignments. Right. Um, it, well, that's why we can get away with things like, like for, for a long time, like zero was a controversial concept <laughs> because show me a nothing. Like, yeah. show me zero apples. Where, where are they? <laughs> or more importantly... Where aren't they? Like, you know, you can get into all kinds of weird <laughs> And then situations. negative numbers. Show me negative one apple. Like, excuse me? No. 
um, and imaginary numbers, which right on their right in their title, <laughs> we tell you what they are. They're imaginary. <laughs> They're made up. Uh, but spoiler alert: all numbers are imaginary. Technically, but th- but these are more <laughs> imaginary. Some numbers Even are more, more imaginary, more than, imaginary than imaginary. Um, right. right. We can we can get away with doing stuff like that because in mathematics we don't have to play by the rules of reality. This, it, it, mathematics is a language that we can use to describe systems, right? Conceptually, and it doesn't matter um, so long as they are internally consistent, right? And you got to be careful though when constructing a systems around axioms because you can also quickly develop what often is falsely called you know circular logic you know you'll hear people say a lot like now you're arguing in circles and you absolutely can do that you can create axiomatic systems that are circular um but to avoid this it's best to use your axioms definitionally right yeah the, the the reason why mathematics works so well uh despite being only based on axioms uh given by rote fiat is that mathematical axioms are not just they're they're not assertions of conclusions per se we don't assert the things that we're trying to prove because that that would be a circular uh logical system in mathematics our axioms are definitional it's talking about what we're talking about as we like to say on this show indeed um you know so take for instance equality since we've already brought that up equality has a few different properties there's the reflexive property of equality a equals a there's the transitive property of equality if a equals b and b equals c then a equals c things like that there's a, a few there's a handful of them um we we do this not because i need to prove to you what that a equals a i don't have to prove to you that a equals a you can you can very easily just say aha but you've just asserted that i say a doesn't necessarily equal a cool now we're not talking about the same thing anymore right i'm talking about a system of equality where a equals a anything always is equal to itself right if you want to talk about a system where that's not the case we can do that and we can make another internally consistent logical system based on that but we're not talking about the same thing anymore so when we have axioms in mathematics like the definition of equality or the axioms of the real number system or whatever we're just talking about what we're talking about this is the system we're working with and now we can prove theorems based on it and get more interesting conclusions right and I think it's good for us to also, I, I'm going to bring up another uh, axiomatic system, or an, an axiom that's used in a different system to kind of help show this analogy, to make this more analogous to probably something less scary than math, if you will. Um, there is an axiom around biblical inerrancy. You know, that's that system of belief of biblical inerrancy, mm-hmm. uh, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's an assertion that everything in the Christian Bible is true. And that's an assertion. There's and no, that nothing in it is false. Yeah, and nothing in it is false, and it's used well, a lot. And, and then further, based on that, no true proposition may contradict the Bible. Right. Um. Those are two assertions. Yeah. That come out now. These are things that are found specifically with the Christian Bible and fundamentalist Christian doctrine. Now, you can also insert any holy book in the place of the Bible and create. X holy book 
inerrancy and this happens as well or the lord of the rings or pick your favorite story right we can we can just declare by fiat any book is inerrant right and and this is an axiomatic system just like mathematics in its structure we we are just saying these things are true and right if we if we take as the basis for our logical system that everything in the bible is true we can speak with internal logical consistency about different propositions you know if we want to talk about if 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 now i want to make a claim about whether you know god may endorse so and so a behavior then i can look okay well here's all the things that it says in the bible then we can derive logically whether this is the case or maybe we can just decide we can't know based on this right um but we can we can do that and we won't we won't be talking nonsense per se <laughs> the yeah the problem you run into with a an axiomatic system like biblical inerrancy is that the Bible makes claims about external reality, which may or may not contradict actual observations of reality. Right. And I think, and you can do this with anything, like you said, like... It works in mathematics because there is not an equality out there that we can find that isn't reflexive or something like that. Right. And I think now we're kind of getting to the heart of why beliefs matter. Because these are each systems of belief that are based on a set of axioms, right? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call mathematics a system of beliefs. Well, a belief. It's a philosophy. Sure. Yeah. Which is... It's a logical system. It's a logical system, which, depending on how you define that word logic, I could say, well, yeah, biblical inerrancy is a logical system. Sure, yeah. I can say that. And within the logic of biblical inerrancy, I'm absolutely correct. And, uh, but this is why they matter, is at this level which is I think where most disagreements come from that are especially the ones that are really frustrating because you both might say literally the same thing, but you both also, you and your interlocutor both also agree that we don't agree though. Like how are we reaching different conclusions when all the words we're saying about the underlying things consistent? It's because the context of where you're saying those things, where you're coming from and the, the philosophy you can you have is different you know and you kind of let the cat out of the bag early but then what's the point like why is is one better than the other and that's often the discussion well why should i use mathematics why can't i use biblical inerrancy what's the point like why can't i just be over here in my biblical inerrancy philosophy and live my life that way and why do you choose to live your life using mathematical philosophy as a, as you know, it's a set of axioms and it comes down to well, what, why do you even have those beliefs in the first place? And the obvious answer is, well, so I can answer questions and I can make truth assignments, but why do you need to make those truth assignments? And we arrive at the point of what's the goal in the end. And, and, and this and, is, yeah. Yeah. So, as I, as as I said earlier, the the goal here is that we need to make decisions with reliable outcomes. So you know, I might be able I might be able to take a book that has a some list of propositions in it, and maybe it says as one of the propositions, and say I declare this book to be inerrant. Okay, and one of the propositions is that rattlesnake venom is harmless. Mm, okay. Okay. Cool. Great. I have I have now accepted based on my axiomatic logical system that rattlesnake venom is harmless. Therefore, I have no reason to fear a rattlesnake. Uh, however, if I cross paths with a rattlesnake and it bites me, 
I'm still probably going to die if I don't seek medical attention. Right. Or there could be a reason why you don't die that you then use as evidence for it. And and we're getting, I don't want to get too lost in the weeds here, but you're obviously talking about, um, oh, what's the sect of uh, Christianity that does this? It's the um, Pentecostals. Like there's, there's a sect, subsect of the sect of Pentecostals in the Christian religion that actually handle snakes based on a line in scripture, based from biblical inerrancy that, you know, you can handle snakes if you are whatever. Like there's an if then statement Sure, I wasn't necessarily going for oh. for that, but but yes, th- that, this is a real there, thing. There, there do exist books that say that yeah, you can survive snake bites. Yeah, right, and in you can test this to see if it's true. Now, without knowing anything else, there are people that do survive. And there but are but I mean, yeah, yeah we, I can take any any proposition I I want. Like maybe I'm reading a, a rules manual for a tabletop role playing game that says that you know under certain conditions I can fly without the aid of technology. And then I decide to go leap off of a building under the very logically consistent uh, conclusion that I can fly and I will plummet to my death. Right. Um, and so now we're testing based on these things and what we're kind of beating around the bush at and getting to ultimately is another, uh, we're talking about science at this point, like we're rediscovering science and the philosophy of science in this discussion of, making assertions and building from those assertions a set of beliefs that we can then test and then whether and based on the reliability of their outcomes we can assign to that statement a truth value on usually a level of confidence that we can because the whole point of this all is that now that we're we're able to make these assertions and then from those assertions to develop beliefs we can actually object this. We are now entering a realm where we can objectively begin to measure the outcomes. Like that's why it starts to matter here. Right. Right. The, the, the philosophy here, the philosophy upon which science is based, is called pragmatism. Um, well, that, that's one name that it is called anyway. Yeah. Um, the, the idea that we believe things because we need to, at some point, make a decision we need to do some action and we want these actions to be able to reliably produce desired results Mm -hmm. um so in order to do that we actually must we, we we can never just accept something as true we can only make a prediction and see whether it came true yes and even that does not 100 like if i make a prediction like if i say i flip a coin and i say i predict this coin will land on heads and it does that doesn't mean that i can then say ah this coin always lands on heads it won't probably um so but if i if i say this coin will always land on heads and it lands on tails then i know for certain that that proposition is not true right um and we can we can we can if we if we base our beliefs on things like this, then eventually we can work out uh, which we can work out which propositions are not true, and keep refining our models of reality um, so that they become closer and closer to actual, apparently at least, to actual reality, um, because we can make better and better, more reliable predictions with them. And then you can use those predictions to inform your decisions about anything like anything that there's 
a prediction about or a degree of confidence in which you can make a decision. And an obvious goal is, well, to better me. And at this point, you know, objective truth is kind of irrelevant at this point because, you know, the, the ultimate truth is irrelevant because I can be entirely it's wrong. Not, it's not, it's not totally irrelevant. Like, okay. It, I, I see where you're going. Yeah. Um, the, it doesn't, well, okay. The thing, the thing here, objective truth matters because objective truth is where our real consequences come from. So yes, it does. Right. What it, it doesn't matter though, what other people's, we'll call them arbitrary, uh, truth assignment algorithms or whatever we want to call them say is the, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like if someone who subscribes to biblical inerrancy says, well, you're wrong about that. It doesn't matter what they say. Um, you know, you, you can, you can still predict the outcome of a, some action that you take. Right. Well, what I'm trying to get at though, is that coming from the prediction standpoint, that's what we really care about is does our, how accurate are our predictions? Right. So the, the idea here, yeah, is that you're, your predictions are essentially equivalent to your beliefs in this. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, steal the, uh, the syllogism from anti-citizen X beliefs drive actions. Actions have consequences. Consequences are objective. Yes. And that's what we're trying to get to on why beliefs matter. It's because your belief will drive your actions and your actions will determine your consequences within the full scale reality outside of your egocentrism and so that's why right. you, can, you can actually escape your egocentric predicament uh using this method yes and uh that's why this episode's realistically about why pragmatism or this one name for it is a good system and why we're talking about when we discuss truth and all and all of our episodes and we're discussing you know things that have to do with making predictions and why we would or wouldn't believe certain right. things in certain systems it's coming from this you know right Pragmat- pragmatism I'll, I'll just to clear up perhaps any any confusion as to, to why we might use this this term pragmatism is the the philosophy of like why why we would care to assign truth values to things like the the that being to make decisions. Right. Um, science is the method we use to assign those values. Right. Um, enough said there. Now, there is, I think, one other thing that needs to kind of be brought up and hit on again because it's there are other claims that are made outside of this that don't work in science and there's a prerequisite for claims being made and that's falsifiability. And I think you know, we, we, we hinted on this a little bit and I think it's good to go ahead and refresh this one as well. So, um, well, there's falsifiability and fallibilism. They kind of go hand in hand. Um, but fallibilism, so fallibilism is like the principle yes. that, um, any, any, any claim in, in this sort of uh, system can never, really be proven to be true beyond the shadow of a doubt right and, and we we can always make mistakes and this is this is yeah this is the case in uh, the philosophy of science as well yeah. that every every scientific conclusion is at best a tentative guess about the true nature of reality beyond our senses 
Right. And you must also... It just happens that we've gotten really good at it. Right. And and you must accept that there could... Future data can and will most likely prove your prediction wrong at some point. Yes. And that does... And there's a twofold consequence of that. One is that it really reinforces the idea of confidence and a fuzzy logic as opposed to a binary truth assignment for scientific observations because by acknowledging that it you can never be a hundred percent is essentially what it's saying you're you're locked down below 100 percent, and that's a good thing because that's what we've observed and, and that's in a way can is almost self-fulfilling but based on our observations we have not made any that are 100 percent true necessarily in all cases well, we don't know we don't know like, yeah that's... but we are on the side that we that we are possibly wrong here and admitting honestly that there could be a case in which this is wrong but until we come to it like like you know now there's there's some doubts currently and with our current scientific understanding of things whether it is actually even possible to make a 100 percent correct prediction about literally anything but even even like even if we go back you know maybe a hundred years before uh, a lot of our modern scientific theories um say in this paradigm we did actually stumble upon a real fundamental truth of the universe somehow we guessed it right we could never know that we actually did that right even if you actually did figure out a fundamental property of nature you could never know with 100 percent certainty right and, and this is a useful tool. And the reason I bring it up is because this is a useful tool for immediately dismissing other claims, um, especially those from the realm of other systems that just outright make unfalsifiable claims. Uh, and you hear about this a lot, um, especially coming from religion, not to harp on religion too much, although you know, little or, I care. Or to harp on religion. Or to harp on religion, you know, little <laughs> I care. But, if, you know, um, if you have your sympathies, then so be it. Um but you can make un. But if I make a claim that's unfalsifiable, then it's never going to work within a pragmatic system because, you know, I think it's what is it Russell's teapot that's used to address that or, yeah. Um. Well, R- Russell's teapot is used to um, is used to debunk the the fallacy of oh goodness what's the what's the one uh. Like the sort of to debunk false dichotomies anyway. Um, that yeah, so so Russell Teapot is suppose or I I make a claim that uh, there exists a teapot in orbit around the sun between the the Earth and Mars. Okay, it's a microscopic teapot. We could never possibly see it with any of our earthly instruments, but. Uh, you can't prove that it's not there, right? Can 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 we say then that it is there? Right. No, it's it's an unfalsifiable claim. You can't possibly prove me wrong, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. Right, and uh, so you can't just make claims that are unfalsifiable and then them be meshed within the system. And that's different than because you could also approach that same question: is why do I care? what predictions can I make from that that are going to be practically useful? You know, there's, there's, there's another way of addressing that problem, but yes, that's true. Pra- yeah. Another, another great thing that pra- a tool that pragmatism gives us is, um, is it 
allows us to rationally decide which claims are even worth considering. Right. Yeah, I tell you, there's a teapot in orbit between Earth and Mars. I don't care. Right. I don't even need to prove you wrong because it's not going to affect me at all. Right. Or, well, it's not going it if it did exist, technically it would affect me with a slight gravitational pull. <laughs> but it's never going to change what decisions I need to make for the goals that I intend to achieve. Right. And so so I don't care. Exactly. Um um that so and and I've I've already brought up one philosophical razor before in this episode, Occam's razor, mm-hmm. um, which is that it, it, with with equal likelihood, the uh, the explanation that requires the uh, fewest assumptions is the uh, is the one that you should accept. Um, perhaps my favorite philosophical razor, which applies in this case, is it's it's in fact such a good razor that it's not even called a razor. It's called Newton's flaming laser sword. <laughs> states it states that if a if the if a proposition cannot be set or sorry if a question the answer to a question cannot be settled by experiment then it's not worth considering. Yeah. So pragmatism, <laughs> uh, in a nutshell. Uh, I'm glad we re- re- refreshed this episode, uh, these two episodes, because and to kind of combine them into one because there was a lot of fluffer in between. Because we were actually kind of just, we didn't really prep for those episodes back in the day, and we just kind of went in and discussed them more organically. I think, and there's a charm to that. I think, um, but this is important because pretty much anything else we discuss down the line will come from this school of thought and this you know, we're kind of telling our, you know, telling our own philosophical leanings here on our truth assignments for things, you know, and what systems we use. Right. Well, yeah, this is our epistemology. Yes. If you want to talk to us about what's true, we need to, we need to be on this page first, because if we're not talking in these terms, then we have all of our work ahead of us to figure out what the heck are we actually talking about? If you're going to try to argue with us about the truth. And, and not to say that, you know, you have to get on our terms to discuss things, but we need to agree, though, on an epistemology. Right. And and I think, you know, we talk about middle grounds and but, things but like here, that. But here's the thing, though. Like, it's... We are still sort of saying, yes, you need to get on this page. Because the whole paradigm here is that if you if you want to drag me to some other epistemology, it it doesn't matter. If you If you pull me into some other epistemology, like biblical inerrancy or whatever then I can I can throw my hands in the air and concede your entire argument and it will not change any decisions that I make in my life. Right. So really, truly, if we're not talking about things that I can use to make predictions and, and make decisions in my life, I literally don't care what you have to say. Yeah. Um, unless you convince me otherwise, but good luck. You know, I think that's the ultimate point. Like, I'm not saying that we won't discuss our epistemology or other epistemologies. But they're always sure. Going to... I, I accept that maybe there is a flaw in my reasoning for accepting this epistemology. If you want to try to address, if you want to try to raise something like that, right. maybe. But let's hopefully save some time, and instead of starting at some assumption that we then have to work our way down to, why don't we just discuss the epistemology off off the bat? You know, and I think that's valuable. Now, obviously, in your day to day life, you can't. Every person you just talk to talk to things, you need to talk about things with. 
it's an awkward clunky sentence um <laughs> to which every person you discuss no, um but let's just throw all the prepositions yeah. in one <laughs> one of them will stick and be right um <laughs> but in your everyday conversations you obviously can't well i say obviously you probably most of the time can't start off with okay so what is your you know epistemological belief system and we'll start there sure. and then see if, i'll see if i want to keep talking to you after that that's not going to come across very naturally. yeah really, really where this where this becomes a thing is is when you're talking about like when, when someone wants to talk about metaphysics or something like that it's like okay but but actually why do i care what you have to say about metaphysics right so i don't think i have anything else to add beyond that um but i'm glad we did this episode again yeah this was good this was good so uh, if you have any questions, we're always willing to talk about it. And uh, hopefully this will help clear up, you know, any, you know, if you're, I hope that any people that would listen to any other episode and start to take issue on epistemic grounds or epistemological grounds, I don't really know the correct usage of that word. It's one of those. One of those too, um, based on my assumptions of the of the English language. Uh, you might be referred here and welcome. I'm glad you stayed to the end and actually listened to the whole thing. Um and maybe it'll give you some clarity on why I, why we just we just refused to discuss something with you because we felt it was going this direction. Um, but if you do want to talk about this, let's just start here and talk about that. So, I guess that all being said, do you have anything else? Uh, you good? Nope. All right. Philosophers. Philosophers. If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.